We've been going through the book of Acts, and last week we talked about Acts chapter 10. But God has been moving a lot in our church lately, especially this year. I mean, we've seen the school of the Spirit last year. Last week we had, uh, um, you know, a, a prophetic word, a word of knowledge. Our sec- if you have, you guys were in our 11:15 service. It went an extra hour long, and just it was like we couldn't hardly put the brakes on it. It was just the the Spirit of God was flowing out of the banks and. So we're so thankful for that. And one of the things I talked about a couple weeks ago is the idea that if you are in Christ, you're not just a convert. You're not just supposed to say yes to Jesus, but you're also called to be a disciple, right? And so what is a disciple? A disciple is not just somebody who gets better and better at the Christian life. A disciple is actually a follower of Jesus. And so when you're a follower of Jesus, that means the scenery is going to change from time to time. That means that we just say yes to Jesus from here until eternity. And we just keep saying yes. It's a series of constant yeses to Jesus. But you're not just called to be a disciple of Jesus. You're also called to be a maker of other disciples. Every single one of us are called to make disciples. And so uh, that, that's, that's actually, it can be an intimidating thing, but it's so encouraging, too, that God has deposited with, on, on you and within each one of you the ability, the mandate, the calling to be able to make other disciples. And so one of the ways that we want to do that even as a church, and I felt even as a pastor here at the church, is that I, I felt a strong leading to gather young adults Together, We've only done it a couple times this year at my house. We've gathered together. We've talked about the deep things of God. We've encouraged one another and tried to build a community. But one of the things I felt like I was supposed to do is to gather young adults together and to look them in the eyes and say, I need you to lead now. Like the vision that God has given, even just specifically this house, this church, that we need you to start leading and to start stepping into your calling even now. And, and, and so to step up into that. And, and I told them, I said, I'm committed on my part to do, if you say yes, to do whatever I can on my part to give you real opportunities and real responsibility in the kingdom and to help draw up out of you uh, your calling. And so part of my job, even as a pastor of this church, is to help us to, to draw up into our calling and for us to realize it's not all about the pastoral staff, it's not all about the staff, it's not all about even those who uh, have been really seasoned in, in ministry. We're thankful for that, but we're also called to continue to draw people up. And so we have around here a few times a year something called Take Five. And many of you guys are familiar with this. It's where we take five people, we give them five to seven minutes to preach a mini message, which is really hard to do, by the way, if you don't know that. It's really hard to preach uh, a mini message in five minutes. And so we almost had to take six with JB today, but uh, we'll take that as well. But uh, would you welcome those who are a part of our take five as they come on up and grab a seat? These are young adults that I've asked, that I I prayed about and just asked, like, you know, and and then I asked them if they had a word. And one thing you have to realize about the take five is I I give them a little bit of, you know, a little bit of start and just kind of like, hey, here's some things to think about as far as like how to prepare something. But I don't tell them what to prepare. I just say, what is God speaking to you that he's not just speaking to you, but he also wants to speak 
through you. And so we don't get together and plan all of this like, hey, how could this, like what's our topic? We don't do that. We just say, what is the Spirit of God speaking to you? And then I'll, I'll um, hear a little bit about what their topic is and then I'll just pray about what order they're to go in. And so even going into last night, I didn't know the full content of what they were saying. But I believe as you see, and as the Holy Spirit often does with these, is that it at the end, he takes five people. It's kind of like the Word of God. The Word of God was written by all these different authors, 40 different authors over like you know, 1,500 years or whatever, and all these things come together to have a, a complete, um, per, a perfect message that comes together that all aligns. And in many ways, as I heard this last night, I could just see the thread of the Holy Spirit through all five of these many messages. And so let me just introduce you, Mariah Wheelhouse, Kelsey Poor, Sarah DeWitt, Michaela Ribeiro, and many of you guys know my son, Sean Phillips. Would you give him a big hand? They're gonna tag team it and share what God has put on their heart. So we're gonna start off with Mariah. Go ahead, Mariah. Hello. Okay, so I tried to come up with something funny to have at the beginning, but then I would time myself to make sure I was within the time limit, and I realized I don't have time for that. So, so we're just going to jump right in a little bit, so I'm just going to start. Um, but so five to six, for five to seven months ago, um, my husband Jordan and I were really just having like kind of a hard time because we had been praying to be able to have a baby for a long time. And it was just getting really hard because there was also like a lot of people around us that were having babies. Like if you walk around this church, you'll see that there's like, they're starting to be babies everywhere and it's wonderful. But like whenever you're in a season of waiting for something, but it's like all around you, sometimes it just makes it really hard. And so I, I was kind of in that place and I got to this point where I wanted that so much that it was like overtaking my it overtook, it ended up overtaking like a lot of the areas of my life because in that area I was kind of like sad or whatever and it ended up just kind of washing over most things and it caused me to lose my focus of God because I was no longer focused on God but I was focused on what could, what God could do for me but what he wasn't doing for me. And then it was causing me to be upset at God. So then that really hindered my relationship with God. Because for the longest time, I didn't even realize that that was going on inside of me. But then when I did, I was like, yeah, I'm just mad. Like, I'm just upset. And so that was kind of where I was. But then one day, I was like, God, I don't want to live here. Like, I know you have more for me, even right here. And so I was, like, spending some more time with him. And... Finally, like I felt him like break through this like fog that I felt like that I was living in. And he was like, he just spoke, he said this to me. And he said, Mariah, you think that I have to prove something to you. You think that I owe you this, but you are wrong. I do not. I do not owe this to you. And like, yes, is God a good God? Yes. Was he hearing our prayers and does he hear our prayers? Yes. Is he working on them? Yes. But does he owe it to us? No, he really doesn't. And even the fact of like, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. And he did not owe that to us either. But he gave his one and only son just to die for us. But he did not owe that to us, but he did it anyways. And he continues to do things since then over and over and over and over again to us when we're looking and when we're not, that he does not owe to us. And you probably maybe have something like that in your life and if you do, you probably can think of it pretty quickly because usually it's a big thing. But anyway, God doesn't owe it. 
to us, but he still gives it anyways. And that is literally so amazing. And then another thing that he showed me in that, in that same day, so he's like, I don't have to pr- prove this to you. I don't owe this to you. And in the same way, you don't have to prove yourself either. Like, as I was constantly, being in that place of struggle caused me to walk around, like, constantly feeling like I had to prove something. Like, I had to prove that I could be a good mom or prove that I could do what God is calling me to do or prove, like, prove all of these things. Like, has God called me to certain things? Yes. Has God called all of us to certain things? Yes. And do we need to obey? Yes. And we be faithful to him, like, as he calls us to it and we obey. But we don't have to be, like, proving it or like putting it everywhere. We can just be faithful in the things that God has asked us to do. And when we are faithful to God, he is also always faithful to us. Yeah. And we can believe that God will move on behalf of our situation without basing our relationship with God on whether or not he does or doesn't move or if or on whether or not he does or doesn't move in the way that we think that he should. Yeah, because he knows so much better than we do. And then the final thing, so we have, God doesn't have to prove anything to us. I, we don't have to prove ourselves. And then the third thing that he showed me that day is that other people don't have to prove anything to me either. Or other people don't have to prove anything to us either. And I was talking to a close friend around the time that I was like, God was showing me these things. And a quote that she said that God had been showing her was that no one owes me anything today. And that really connected with me. And I was like, yeah, like that is so true. Like no one owes me anything today. And that reminds me of a story of that happened in my life, a different story. Because like several years ago, I was preparing to go on a mission trip to Haiti. And before I went there, literally everyone that I told that I was going on this missions trip to Haiti was like, oh my gosh, you're going to be totally changed. It's totally going to change you. You're going to be totally changed. It's totally going to change you. And so many people said that, that when I went there, I was like, I'm going to be totally changed. (laughs) And I was there, but then I was like seeing all of this totally heartbreaking stuff because like it was third world country and there's like kids, you know, and it was like super sad, like what I was seeing, like with my eyes. But I was like numb. Like I didn't, I was like, and then later on I was like having some time with God and I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, I feel like I should be having like, like I should be sad, like for these kids and all this kind of stuff, but I wasn't. And I was like, God, is there something wrong? Like, am I really just this? I don't know. Like what's wrong with me? And, but I felt like he showed me, he's like, Raya, because so many people told you that whenever you came here, that you're going to be totally changed. You came here with the expectation that you were going to get something. He's like, but I brought you here because I have something for you to give. And, and that has stuck with me ever since then. Because in our society, we live so entitled. And even just speaking for myself, I feel like I live very entitled a lot. And we make everything about like ourselves. So that's why little inconveniences like waiting in line at the grocery store and it's really long or getting someone butting in front of you in traffic or whatever it might be. Or like, for instance, if like someone hasn't reached out to us in a while or something like that, but it's like, have we reached out to them? Like, cause no one owes us anything today. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what can we do? And like, not saying that we're not supposed to be faithful or good friends to each other, but like, you know what I mean? You never know what even your close friend is going through that you might not know everything about. And so, Yeah, so today, wherever we are in life, we have been given something to give to others. 
But if we are so obsessed with what is or isn't being given to us, we will miss the opportunity to give every single time. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to take up your cross and follow me. And those who try to save their lives will lose it. But those who lose their lives for his sake will, will gain it. God has so much more in store for us than merely what we think we deserve. And if we're honest, I think we spend a lot of our time trying to make our lives more safe and comfortable. But God has so much more. And then to kind of finish from the, like, go back to the story I was telling at the beginning. Like, as we are faithful to God, like, he is so faithful to us. And, like, all of that stuff, like, he didn't, he doesn't have to prove anything to me. Like, he doesn't owe me a baby, but you know what? Now I'm pregnant. And he, he gave me one. You know what I mean? But, yes. (laughs) But it's because God is so good, and he's always, always faithful. And sometimes that looks different for different people in different situations, but God is always faithful, and he is always, always good. So now I'm just going to have this clo- one last quote as I close, and it's by Jimmy Evans, and it's, We are happiest when we are serving, and we are most unhappy when we are waiting to be served. So now I'm going to pass it off to Kelsey. So good. It's being encouraged all over again. Um, yeah, so I'm Kelsey Poor. Uh, I've been a part of a Take Five once at Journey uh, in the past, but I've preached many times at our youth group Elevate that meets every Wednesday night. And at the end of last year, uh, I shared a message with the teenagers that really was like the fire and passion in my heart translated into a sermon. And I believe that the message that I shared with the teenagers that night is what God wants me to share with you guys today. So we're going to be reading a story in Genesis. um, And most of you probably know this story, are familiar with it. Uh, But Abraham and Sarah, they wanted to have children, but they couldn't, and they were getting older. Um, But one day God tells them, uh, gives him a promise. He says, I'm, I'm going to give you a son. And so they pray, they believe, um, and more time passes, and eventually the prayer is answered, and the promise is fulfilled, and Isaac is born. And they love him, and they enjoy him as he grows, but one day God asks Abraham an important question. So in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied, And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Okay, pause. This is kind of weird. It doesn't really make sense, right? Because God made a promise. He gives him the promise, and then he's like, oh, yeah, that promise I gave you, I need you to go sacrifice it. It's like, uh, what, God? That's kind of, that's strange. And into our natural minds, that... I mean, it seems like cruel of God to give a promise and then ask Abraham to go and surrender it. Um, But I am completely convinced that it's actually the mercy and goodness of God that asked Abraham to surrender Isaac, to sacrifice Isaac, because God knew that if Abraham began to 
depend and lean on the promise and the blessing instead of leaning on God, if Abraham began to look to Isaac as his source of hope and life and uh, joy and purpose instead of looking to God as his source, then eventually that would destroy Abraham. Because if we put our, our complete trust and dependency and build our life on anything other than Jesus, then eventually that thing or that person is going to fail and will disappoint us and let us down. And it will feel like our whole world is falling apart because it's like we have been building our whole world on this thing instead of on Jesus. And so it was the goodness of God that asked Abraham to come and surrender um, the promise so that he could build his life and put his hope in Jesus and God alone. Because I believe that as Abraham walked up the mountain um, with every step, that it was being solidified within his heart that God was his one thing and that God was the king of his heart and God is his true source. So it's the goodness of God that asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And so I want us all to ask ourselves the question today, is God the most important thing to us or are his blessings the most important thing to us? And if we find that there is anything that is challenging the place on the throne of our heart, then now is the time to surrender and to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. So we're going to wrap up the story in Genesis 22, verse 10. So Abraham and Isaac, they get to the top of the mountain, and he binds Isaac, puts him on the altar, and um, he puts him on the altar, and then he's getting ready to do it. He's getting ready to sacrifice his son. And in verse 10, then he reached out his hand, he took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And so like God and Abraham in that situation, when he asks you to surrender something, it might not be that he's asking you to completely sacrifice it or give it up, but he's asking you to give it to him and to put it in his hands. And I, I can say for myself that in my life up to this point, like I've never ever regretted a single moment when I've gotten on my knees and surrendered anything to Jesus. Because really, I, anything I'm surrendering to God, it's safer and better in his hands than in my own hands by myself anyway. And as I do that, I'm also solidifying within my own heart that God is my one thing, that God is my true source. And so may we all be inspired by the story of Abraham today to surrender it all, to establish God as our one thing, the king of our hearts, no challengers, because he is our firm foundation, and he will never, never let us down. So let's give a hand to Sarah as she comes up to share. Wow. So good. Everyone doing a good job. Okay, yeah, my name is Sarah, and um, what I'm going to share with you guys is something that um, the Lord, he showed to me um, in a quiet time, and it kind of blew my mind, and so I want to share that with you guys. So we're going to be in Matthew 13, 44 through 46, 
And it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. So in the book of Matthew, at previously in the chapters, Jesus is um, he's giving a series of parables that describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so in the first part of this parable, he's comparing <clears throat> the kingdom to a treasure and um, that a man he discovered in a field and he sold everything that he owned just so he could buy this field. And so this is... Um, this should be our response when we discover Jesus. Just like um, the, the man gave up everything, when we see how valuable and how good Jesus and his kingdom is, our response should be to, to give up everything um, for Jesus because of how valuable it is. And so in our lives, um, we have this metaphorically whole-shaped um, Jesus-shaped hole in our hearts. It's kind of cheesy, but it's true. And we try and fill that hole with all the things in this world, like, you know, the thing, all the things that don't satisfy us, whether that's relationships or um, money, success, fame, um, people, or drugs or alcohol, whatever it is, we try and fill that void in our hearts with the things that the world has to offer. But as we all know, that hole can only be filled with Jesus. And so when we discover Jesus and we see that he's the only one that can satisfy us, we want to give up all those things that are worthless, that, that don't add to our lives. And we want to have Jesus. And so it is costly to follow Jesus. We can't you know, hold on to those things and Jesus at the same time. We have to give up um, the things of this world. And so, as a little illustration, I have these two highlighters. And imagine that this is you. And you one day decide that you're going to follow Jesus. And so you add Jesus to your life. And now you and Jesus are doing life together and everything's good. But let me tell you something. This is not the way that it should be. Um, when we decide to follow Jesus, we, it's, Jesus is not an add-on to our life. We don't get to add Jesus to our life. We have to give up our life. And now that it's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. We can't, like I said, we can't hold on to the things of this world and hold on to Jesus. We have to give it up. We have to give up our, our old ways of thinking, our mind, our will, and our emotions. We have to completely surrender it to Jesus. And so Matthew 10, 39 says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. So all other things in this world are worthless compared to Jesus and his kingdom. So, the second part of this parable is the kingdom of heaven is then compared to a merchant. And um, the crazy thing about this 
parable, is this is the thing that blew my mind, is as, as a kid, I used to read it as we were the merchant. We were looking for the pearls. And, but it's actually not the way that it is. Because if you look closely, the kingdom of heaven is the merchant. It's the, the subject of the, the parable, and we are the pearls. We're the object. And the merchant, he looks for the pearls. Jesus is looking for you. He's looking for people to be a part of his kingdom. Because just like we are incomplete without Jesus in our lives, the kingdom of heaven is incomplete without you in it. And so Jesus, he looked for for me. He looked for you. And when he found you, he gave up everything for you, right? He gave up his throne in heaven. He became a man. He died on the cross for you, all so that you could be a part of his kingdom. So Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. It says that he gave up his divine privileges. Just like the merchant and the man, they gave up everything that they had to get the treasure, to get the pearl. And so Jesus, he did that for us. And so there is nothing that we can do to repay God for what he has done for us, right? He doesn't require us to do anything. He doesn't expect us to pay him back or, or earn our way back to, uh, to him. He doesn't expect that from us. But because of the love that Jesus has for me and because of all that he's done for me, I want to be like that man in the first parable who, when he discovered just how much, ama- how amazing the kingdom of heaven is, he gave up everything because he realized that that is the true treasure. And so I want to challenge you that, you know, in your life, am, are you fully surrendered to God? Have you given up all those things that are from the world? And have you given them up and, you know, been like this? Are you clinging to your life? Or are you give, have you fully given your life to Jesus? And so, yeah. I want to leave you with that. And now I'm going to welcome Michaela. <laughs> so awesome. Do you guys see how these are connecting so far? I love it. All right. This morning, I want to share about how God swept through my workplace. So in 2018, God came into my life, and he's been moving very powerfully ever since. He moved so much in my life that I came to this point where I was ready to see him move in the lives of those around me. And I thought, what better place than at my work, where it really seems like God just isn't there. I work in a very corporate environment, and everything is supposed to remain very neutral. And so I really had to discern, okay, what things can I say, what things should or I shouldn't say. I just decided, well, you know what, I can pray. And so for the next few days in my car on my way to work, I just prayed. And I said, God, make this place holy ground. I bind every unclean spirit over every person that walks through that door in Jesus' name. God, just so they can have a chance 
to know and experience you. I pray that you move so powerfully in this place that it would be completely evident that your Holy Spirit is here. We want to see your glory. And as I prayed that, over the next week, I started to see a change happen. The conversations at lunch started to change. People were talking about their experiences and about how they didn't know God, but they wanted to know God. I had two separate people who individually came and initiated conversations with me, and they said that they haven't gone to church in a long time, but that they're starting to want to go to church, and they wanted to know where I went to church. There were two other employees that this one, I found this out later, she had given her last $100 to feed her family, but she was going to be $100 short to pay the electric bill. And this other coworker that didn't know the situation felt like God told her to give her a $100 bill. She was so overjoyed <laughs> when she got that. She was praising God, and I never thought I'd see the day when that would happen. And then there was another coworker, and mind you, there are no repeats in this story. This touched so many people. There was another coworker that she came and she initiated a conversation with me, and she was telling me about how she went to church as a little girl. She sang in the choir and she loved it. But somewhere along the road, she decided that God and church just weren't for her. But she was curious, so she started asking questions. And I felt the Holy Spirit nudge, and I asked if I could pray for her. She said yes, and I did. She came to me the next day. She said, Michaela, Michaela, God came to me in a dream last night. And he showed up in all of his power and all of his glory, and I gave my life to Christ. Do you see where the Holy Spirit showed up in that workplace? As I was preparing for this, God showed me an image of a verse from Luke 13, 20 through 21. And it reads, he also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast and three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So the yeast is small in quantity, but it's extremely powerful. And just a little goes a long way. And it starts small, and it works inwardly at first, but it will permeate the whole dough. And how many of us know that God's kingdom will permeate the whole world? I have two main points for this. And the first is that the kingdom of God must first permeate within us. There's something that Pastor Sean has shared many times, and it's completely changed my life. And it's asking the question, God, what are you doing today, and how can I be a part of it? It completely shifts your focus into realizing, okay, God, you are actively moving and working in my life and the lives of those around me. And you're just waiting for me to see the opportunity and say yes. If you want to see and experience God's glory, ask for opportunities. I have tasted the huckleberries. If you guys remember that sermon, I've gotten a taste of the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit in my life, and it's just left me craving more and more of him. And it makes me want everyone I know to have a taste too. The second point is that the kingdom of God will grow, but our faith and love for others will determine how quickly. It takes more than a week of prayer. I've still yet to see those two coworkers come to church here, but I do believe that something was started inside them. The fact that we can actually pray and see the Holy Spirit change the environment around us is everything. 
People change in the presence of God. In Mark 11, 22 through 24, it says, Have faith in God. I assure you that whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and doesn't waver but believes that what is said will really happen, it will happen. Raise your expectations. If you're hungry for him and you're in his will, he will show up. In the testimony, did you notice that I didn't have to say anything out loud to those coworkers? I binded up anything unclean over them spiritually in the name of Jesus, and I let the Holy Spirit do the rest. When they got a taste of it, they came looking for more. Like the yeast, it was silent, and it moved without force. We just got to love people. And when they come looking, we point them to their loving Father. I want to challenge all of you to try this, too, in your workplaces in your schools, in your communities, before you go to the grocery store, before you go to Home Depot, pray for an opportunity for God to show up. Ask the question, God, what are you doing today and how can I be a part of it? Raise your expectations. Anticipate a reply. Know that the kingdom of God will grow and when it starts with us, though small at first, it will have a powerful effect. Give it up for Sean. So good. Man, what Michaela's talking about, that's a dangerous prayer, right? That takes some boldness and humility to be able to do that. You have to have a little measure of confidence, but I'm thanking God that there's grace, right? Like he can provide that for us. But um, something I wanna share with you guys is uh, something that God's been doing inside of me recently, inside of my life. and revealing some things that have been um, going on inside of my heart and even like my just subconscious and just how I do things. But um, as I get into it, I just have a question for you guys. Who here has ever lived in an apartment before? If you just want to be so bold. Okay, yeah, there we go. Got quite a few of us have done that before. Um, when, my, my, when my wife and I got married, we moved into an apartment and we did that for like three years and an apartment's one of those things that you are, you live in them for like two months, and it's fun for like two months, and you're like, I gotta get out of here. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know, like, it's just like, it, it's fun for a little bit, and then it gets to the point where it's like, okay, we're, we're done. Like, that, let's check that box. Like, we did that, been there, done that. And so a little bit ago, we decided, all right, you know, that phase of life is done. Let's look for some sort of house. Either we buy it or we rent it, whatever. Um, let's just do that. And same thing, house shopping is fun for like two weeks and then uh, you're done. You're like, I just need to find something. Just give me anything. I'll take it. I'll take a shack at this point. And, um, you know, I was checking Zillow like it was Instagram. Like I just kept refreshing it every five minutes and waiting for something to pop up. And um, as I was doing that, uh, it was a couple Fridays ago, I was checking Zillow and something popped up. It was a cool duplex here in Liberty. And so we look, we, I saw it pop up on that Friday. The next day, Saturday, we toured it. And that Sunday, we signed the lease. And so stuff moves like, moved like really quickly for us. And so that was last Sunday. And so two days ago, Friday, was our move-in day. And so we've had a busy week. And I, God bless my family for helping us move everything in one day. And so we're, we're, pretty, we're getting pretty settled in here now. But um, before that happened, before um, it was the day we signed the lease, 
that night, you know, my wife and I were talking about it, and we were just lying in bed, and I just had this moment, and I voiced it out loud, and I said, what if we're making a huge mistake? <laughs> what if this is a big mistake? I mean, it's, it's not that much more money, but, like, it's still more money. Like, what if this is a huge mistake? And so we started talking about that, going down that, you know, mental rabbit hole of, like, you know, what if we've made this big mistake? What if we're wasting a lot of money? You know, all these things. I'm sure we can all relate to this. And I was starting to feel anxious about it. And I was like, okay, you know, we need to put the brakes on this. Like, I need to just... And I, I, just, I just need to sit here for a little bit and just think about it and just ask God, like, why I'm feeling anxious. Why is this coming up? And why am I feeling anxious? Like, it's obviously too late to back out now, but I need to, I need to deal with this. Like, I can't just let this go. And I was thinking about it. I was talking to God about it. And he revealed something to me about the situation, but more than just the situation, about a tendency that I have, a pull that I have, towards other situations like this. He revealed something about myself in that moment, and he told me something about a tendency I have, and it was that sometimes that I will settle for something that's familiar but good instead of pursuing something that's unfamiliar but great. He was showing me that sometimes I will settle for a comfortable acceptable rather than an uncomfortable great. And this was something that was coming up at the day after we signed the lease, I was like, you know, the apartment, it's familiar, it's comfortable, it, like, it's small, and, you know, we know, we have peace that we are supposed to move on. Like, we did talk to God about it, and we got peace, we got the confirmations, but there was that tendency that's inside of me that I'm sure some of you guys here can relate to as well, that I was almost willing to sacrifice the better just because I was comfortable and familiar with where I was at. And he was telling me, Sean, that's not right. Like, you shouldn't live this way. You need to deal with that because there's going to be moments where I'm going to call you to something greater, but it's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be moments where I'm going to call you to something better, but it might not be familiar. It might not be the way you've done things. And so what he was telling me in that moment was don't settle for a comfortable good when God has an uncomfortable great in store. Don't settle for it. Don't settle for that. Um, I was looking in scripture as I was preparing for this and praying about this for an example of a biblical character, a biblical person that modeled this very well. And I came across Jesus who, you know, I, I had to pick him because he just had this perfect example. And it was when he was about to step into something extremely uncomfortable, which was the cross, that he knew what was about to happen. He knew what was coming, but he also knew that this was what God had for him. So in Matthew 26, it says, going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's saying, God, please, I don't wanna do this. Like if it's at all possible, I do not wanna do this. This, this little section is in there to tell us that Jesus did not want what was about to happen in his flesh. Like he did not want that. He said, let this cup pass from me. But watch this, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. He was sacrificing a comfortable good, a familiar good, for an, and he, well, yeah, he was sacrificing that to pursue something that was better, but uncomfortable and unfamiliar. And this is what I was getting from that. And if you're taking notes, I would recommend writing this down. I, I believe this will change your life. It's, we are never called to pursue good, but to pursue God. 
We're never called to pursue something that's just simply acceptable. Like, I am making it. I am getting by. This is fine. I'm, I'm doing it. It's fine. But we're always called to pursue God, but to pursue the kingdom. Matthew 6 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That we're called to seek God's kingdom first, above all, above everything else, priority number one. And the danger is like we, a lot of us, including myself, I'm really speaking to myself. This is something that, like I said, God's working on me in this moment, in this season. He just revealed it to me last week and just the implications of that, that I realized most things in my life, especially spiritual things, I've been settling for something that's comfortable, for something that's familiar, for something that I've always done it this way. You know, in my quiet time with God, I've been settling. This is how I've always done it. This is comfortable to me. I'm not going to change it. Like, in my head, it's like, I know it could be better, but that's uncomfortable. That's unfamiliar. I don't know how to do this. I've never done it this way. But I've always done it this way, and this is comfortable. It's fine. I'm getting by. It's fine. In my, in my time with worshiping God privately and corporately here at church, I've been settling for a comfortable familiar and a comfortable good and saying, it's fine. It's fine how it is. It's, it's getting me by. When God's saying, don't settle. Don't settle for that. There's something greater. There's something greater I want you to pursue. There's something greater that's out there, and it's going to be uncomfortable. When God progresses you in life and he, he takes you to that next level, if you ever want to get to that next level, it's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to be unfamiliar. I heard this quote before that I absolutely love, and it's, um, if you want to go somewhere you've never been in your relationship with God, you're going to have to do something you've never done. If you're going to go somewhere you've never been in your quiet time with God, it might take doing something you've never done. If you want to get to that next level, it's going to have to be a little uncomfortable. If you're going to get to that next level, it's going to be unfamiliar. It's going to be something that we haven't experienced before. But that's the challenge today is don't pursue good. Always pursue God. And that's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be unfamiliar. But it's going to be great. And it's going to be in God's will. The definition of success for us is obedience, not good. It's not just succeeding financially or just succeeding in being, being comfortable all the time, but it's obedience. And that's something that God was really showing to me. So uh, as we wrap up here, I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And I'm just going to close us um, in prayer. So Holy Spirit, what are you doing in my life right in this moment? What are you speaking to me through these messages? I just invite you to permeate me. I just invite you, just like what Michaela was saying, like yeast in my soul, like yeast in my spirit, that it really doesn't take much of you, but I want all of you. I invite you to change me, to influence me, to change my life, that anything that you want to do in me, that my heart is yours, my mind is yours, my emotions are yours. So Holy Spirit, I invite you in today. Everything that we do, I invite you in, that you are a part of it, not just an add-on, but I trade my life, I surrender it to you, and, and I take Jesus in my place. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Can we give them a big hand for sharing? Thank you, guys. So proud of every one of them. We're...
We're just raising up apostles, pastors, evangelists, teachers, you know, I mean, just whatever. I don't know what we're raising up here, but we couldn't, I mean, I couldn't have planned it any better if I had gave them, a, assigned them a topic, you know? The Holy Spirit just wove through all of that. So would you stand up with me? Because I really believe when we hear a word from God, and I believe you have, that there's a proper response. And it's just to get into the presence of God, begin to magnify God, begin to worship God, and to respond to what he said in worship with an open heart, with an open life, with open ears. And so God, we come to you right now in this time of worship. And God, we are here to worship you in this time. But Holy Spirit, as I know you often do, you come and you speak and you confirm and you convict and you challenge during this time as well. And so we invite that right now. Are there areas of our life as we magnify you, as we worship you, as we sing about your goodness and how big you are and how good you are? God, would you also confirm in our heart the word that's been sown in there? And I just declare that it's sown in good soil in Jesus' name. Come on, let's respond to him in worship.